A few weeks ago, I was in Goodland, Kansas, in the U.S. Midwest, and stopped by a Walmart to buy a case of bottled water. We put on our masks, got out of the car, and walked into the store. To our surprise, we saw many people in the store, and all were not wearing masks, even with all of the signs outside of the store saying it was required. They were casually shopping as if life was normal. After a few minutes being in the store, the store manager gets on the public announcement system and announces in vain that it was the law in the state of Kansas that you need to wear your masks. And it was Walmart store policy that you wear a mask when shopping. The announcement was repeated every 10 minutes, but to no avail. No one put on masks, and we quickly got what we needed and left the store. In another incident, we were checking into a hotel in the south and saw a woman absolutely screaming at the hotel front desk agent because the front desk personnel had asked the customer kindly to wear a mask before she would attend to her. She absolutely had a meltdown yelling and screaming that she had rights and freedoms not to wear one, to which the front desk personnel calmly said, it was hotel policy that they do. My kids were in shock coming from Asia at this scene, and they froze. But I couldn't get my camera out fast enough to record it happening, hoping to have the video go viral. It was shocking, of course, because coming from Asia, the wearing of masks is not even an issue. Even before COVID, people in the Philippines were wearing masks, albeit because of the pollution. Sadly, in the United States, the wearing of masks has become a political issue, and not one based on science and facts. The encouragement to wear masks is, of course, to protect you as well as those around you and lowering the chance of contracting and spreading the COVID-19 virus. But I guess in America, there is a disregard for the rules set up for our own good because we feel that our freedom is at stake and our rights are being violated. Regardless of what is your stance on the wearing of masks, we have something similar when it comes to the Christian life. So many people believe that Christianity is just a bunch of rules. Rules, rules, rules. All about what you can do and what you can't do. But if we look at the scripture, it will surprise you what it teaches about the type of freedoms we are afforded, and specifically the freedoms we have in Christ. This subject is what we're going to take a look at and study as we begin our new sermon series entitled Law and Liberty, Experiencing Freedom in Christ as we examine law and liberty and how Jesus Christ helps us to balance between the two. We're going to see how rules and the law are good, but it has its limitation, and if we only focus on it, we become shackled to it, which results in legalism. But on the other hand, we will look at freedom and grace and how it is wonderfully freeing, but yet there must be checks that we don't abuse grace and our freedoms in Christ as a license to sin. Let's take a look as we begin our study in the book of Galatians. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Galatians chapter 1 as we take a look at verses 1 to 10. We're going to study Galatians chapter 1 verses 1 to 10 this week. Let me read from verses 1 and 2 of the book of Galatians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Here in verses 1 and 2, the writer Paul tells us who he is and the people he's writing to. This is Paul the Apostle, who didn't get his apostleship from men, but from the Lord himself, when the resurrected Lord appeared to him on the road to Damascus. The apostolic office was special and unique, limited to Jesus' 12 apostles and to Paul. 
And Paul is reminding the readers of his spiritual authority to say what he was going to say. Note, there are no modern-day apostles today. This letter is written to the churches of Galatia. These churches were in the southern Roman province of Galatia, cities like Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe in today's southern Turkey, which were churches Paul started when he went on his first missionary journey with Barnabas. Paul begins by sending them a word of greeting in verses 3 to 5. Look with me. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. While this seems to be a standard greeting that we find in Paul's letters to other churches, there are some great theological truths we can glean from his salutation to the churches in Galatia, one of which is that Paul is reminding the readers of the foundational truth of the gospel message. In other words, the essence of the gospel message, which is that Jesus Christ gave up his own life for our sins. That's what verse 4 says, and that by doing so, he saved us, he delivered us from this present evil age for those who have placed their trust in him, which the Galatians had. This is the good news of Jesus Christ in a nutshell, and this is the foundational truth of the gospel of Jesus that you and I need to bear in mind. There is nothing else that saves us from this present evil world than the salvation that is provided by the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came to earth to die for our sins to give us salvation. Jesus' primary purpose on earth was not to make sure you'll make lots of money or to be free from sickness or from persecution. But it was the will of the Father, again, note verse 4, for Jesus to come and save the world, to give us salvation. So bear this in mind as the foundational truth that is the essence of the gospel. Sadly, nowadays, there are lots of false gospel messages that are being propagated today as it was in Paul's time. It's not simply floating outside the church, but false gospel messages have crept into the church today as it had happened in the churches in Galatia. This was the occasion of why Paul needed to write this very stern letter. And we'll talk more about this in future messages. But the false gospel that had worked its way into the churches of Galatia were propagated by people we call Judaizers. They were Jewish Christians who told the Gentiles, meaning non-Jews, that they needed to observe Jewish religious customs even though they were Christians. In other words, they had to follow a set of rules to be Christians, rules that Christ had not commanded and was not found in the Bible. They wanted to perhaps limit the entrance of too many Gentiles into the Christian faith by placing this burden not prescribed by Christ or his apostles as a requirement for them being saved. This included being circumcised and keeping Jewish ceremonial laws. Today in our context, it would be as if someone said, you need to attend church worship services to be saved, or you have to read the Bible regularly to be saved. This false gospel of adding to the free gift of salvation in Jesus Christ posed a threat to the church because it took away from the gospel of grace given by Christ. So Paul begins his letter to the Galatians with four admonitions to these churches, which can serve as four reminders for us in our discussion on the topics of law and liberty. Look with me at verse 6. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him 
who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. After the words of greeting, Paul dispenses with his usual pleasantries and rips into the Galatians, telling them he is surprised how they turned away so quickly from the true gospel message. In Paul's other letters, he would often give a word of commendation or or praise to something good the church was doing, but this time he didn't do that. He went directly to the point. There's a sense of urgency here and the nature of how seriously this matter was for Paul to correct. The Galatians had been taught the truth and experienced Jesus in a real way, but now they turned to a different false gospel message, that of the Judaizers' message, which was not the true gospel that the Apostle Paul had preached to them. To give you a context how quickly they turned, this letter was most likely written before the Jerusalem Council, which we read about in Acts chapter 15, which took place in 49 AD. And since this letter was most likely written after Paul's first missionary journey, recorded in Acts chapter 13 and 14, that it was only a few months since they had been preached to and accepted the true gospel message presented by Paul. Within only a few months, they turned. And so Paul marveled, the Bible says, or better stated, shocked. He was disappointed that they so quickly turned away. And let me stop here and say, this can happen to any one of us today. You see, implied in Paul's admonition to the Galatians is a warning to us that we can just as quickly turn away from the foundational truth of the gospel if we are not rooted in the word. And here is for us an implied lesson, number one of your taking notes, a call to be rooted in God's word, a call to be rooted in God's word, to know the scriptures, to be rooted in our theology to know what we believe and why we believe what we believe. And the word picture is there. Just like if a tree doesn't have deep roots, it can be blown down with a strong gust of wind. So also a believer who doesn't have deep roots in their understanding of God's Word, they may easily turn away when a wind of a more appealing false gospel sweeps through. Let me give you an example. If you believe that God's love is based on how He expresses Himself only in the good things you receive in life, and that no suffering comes upon you, that you and I should be and will be questioning God's love during this viral pandemic, especially if you've lost your job or a loved one to the coronavirus. You may quickly leave the faith because you wonder if God does love you or not. But if you have a deeper rooted understanding of God's love as taught in the Bible, then you will have a balanced view of God's love which is that he talks about his love, sometimes taking the form of discipline to draw us closer to him, or perhaps even giving us trials to challenge us so that we will trust him more, or that he brings discouragement and disappointments in our life to remind us to focus on our secured hope of eternity, to look at the life beyond this. If this is your understanding of expressions of God's love, then as you and I go through this pandemic, And if you do lose your job or lose a loved one, you won't so easily question his love because you are rooted in his word. Look with me at verse 7. Which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Many Galatians were pulled into this false gospel because those who wanted to twist the gospel were among them in their circles. Paul uses this very strong word pervert to describe the intent of these teachers 
It also means to distort, to corrupt. It wasn't just a difference of biblical interpretation they were arguing about. It was a variation of the very foundational truth. And any variation of the gospel is a false gospel, even if it included elements of the true gospel. Let me give you an example. If I were to ask you, what is one plus one? You know the answer is two. But what if I said that the answer of one plus one is 2,000? That would definitely be wrong. Because two is not 2,000, even though there's a two in 2,000. But what if my reply or answer of one plus one is 2.5? You and I know that would still be wrong, even though 2.5 is pretty close to two. So it is with the gospel. Just because you're close or are a variation of it doesn't mean it is the true gospel. For the Galatians, they had bought into a false gospel that added to the foundational truth that salvation was by faith alone in Christ alone. They added that you also had to do other things that were a part of the Jewish faith to be a Christian. And so they were distorting the good news of Christ and the freedom we have in Christ so that it puts Christians back under the shackles of the law and to put in rules for what one must do to be saved. With this admonition by Paul, here in verse 7, there is another implied lesson for us, which is number two, an appeal for discernment. Number two, an appeal for discernment. My friends, it's time for us as Christians to be discerning. Sadly, this pandemic has made fools of a lot of people because it's as if the lockdown has caused us to stop using our brain. For example, just last week I received a message that at least five people sent me and it read this, urgent reminder, please tell everyone around you, don't drink yogurt or bananas after eating crabs. It will be poisoned. It's already on the news. A child died before arriving at the hospital. No matter how busy you are, you must forward this. Second note, also you should not eat orange, orange drinks and vitamin C. I learned this a long time ago. When I received this text, I was like, what? This is so bogus. First of all, bad grammar. Second of all, I've never heard this before. And so I checked, of course, the accuracy of this claim, and it's not there. It wasn't on the news, as they claim. Who is this child that died before arriving at the hospital, presumably eating bananas after he ate crabs? And really, no more orange products? Maybe this is a warning about high acidity. I don't know. And if this was true, so many people in Southeast Asia would be poisoned because they eat crabs and then eat bananas for dessert. And yet smart and educated people are forwarding me this message. They aren't very discerning without checking to see if it was fact or fiction. I've mentioned this before. If Christians aren't discerning, and they often send out fake news and unsubstantiated claims like this one I just read. How will unbelievers differentiate between a false message about crabs and banana, which you send out, with what they will see as untruth and unsubstantiated claims you make that Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose from the dead? I hope you see my point there. We are to be a witness. We are to be more discerning as Christians we have to discern what is truth so that when we share the truth of Jesus, it will come out true. There is a false gospel out there that is being perpetuated by those who advocate for things like prosperity gospel. My friends, be discerning. 
Now, how do you know if someone is propagating a false gospel or teaching lies and untruth? Well, you and I need to be like the Bereans of old and put in the effort to cross-check, fact-check, and double-check what they are saying against the truth of the gospel and the truth of God's Word. Start with the gospel they are preaching. Does it match up to what Christ promised? Look at their websites and see what they believe and advocate for. Don't be led astray. Check out their statement of faith. Check out their personal theology. That's important. What do they believe about God? Is it Trinitarian? There are a lot of cults in the Philippines, and they are cults because they are not Trinitarian in what they believe about God. Do they believe that Jesus is 100% divine and 100% human? That's one of the core theologies that the Bible talks about. The amount of information we have access to today is a wonderful thing. But on the flip side, it makes it all the more challenging to discern who is speaking truth and who is speaking untruth. Remember, just because they have a television ministry or they've written a book or have a nice website or eloquent, it doesn't mean they are teaching truthfully the Word of God. Look with me at verses 8 and 9. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, now, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Here in verses 8 and 9, Paul levies some heavy charges against these false teachers. Apparently they were telling the Galatians that they had the highest authority to teach what they were teaching. But Paul is telling the Galatians they were to reject these messages, even if hypothetically it came from angels. If anyone or any being preaches any gospel other than the true gospel of Jesus Christ, then they would be accursed or under God's judgment. You can tell it was a serious thing as Paul repeated the same charge in verse 9. Apparently Paul knew that there were those who would propagate false gospel messages. And that's why he and Barnabas warned them in person, as verse 9 tells us, to avoid false teachers. And now he's doing it again in this letter. Now, it may shock some readers as to the fervor in which Paul rightly attacks these false teachers. Critics of Paul can say, well, where is the love and grace that Paul is to show them to bring them to truth? Well, I'm sure Paul would care for these people. For the sake of biblical truth, he didn't mince words in his warning. Here is a third lesson for us implied. A reminder, number three, to defend truth. A reminder to defend truth. There are many false teachers today all around us. We must be aware of them. We should soundly reject their teachings, and we should not, for the sake of grace and love, not deal with them as the Bible deals with them. We need to defend the truth. My friends, we should call it like it is, speaking truth with love and grace. Christians need to raise their voice in this world for biblical truth. We need to defend truth, even if it's not a popular stance. One of the issues of tolerance, if not fully thought out, is that sometimes we are so tolerant and so accommodating that we are willing to accept untruths instead of speaking truth. Going back to an earlier example... If your child keeps saying that 1 plus 1 equals 2.5, will you tolerate it and say, okay, because I love you, you can go through life thinking that 1 plus 1 equals 2.5. I don't want to argue with you. Of course not. 
I bet you will fight with your child as a lot of you are doing online teaching. You would adamantly tell them one plus one equals two and fight with them until they accept that one plus one equals two. You and I will defend this truth because we love you. I love you. I don't want you, I don't want my kids to go out in the world and lose out in life because they think that one plus one equals 2.5. So it is in our Christian life. We should not tolerate lies, but defend the truth as unpopular a position as it is. Because as it specifically relates to the gospel, untruth leads to eternal death. We need to defend the gospel. We need to proclaim the Bible as the inerrant word of God and that what it teaches is applicable to us even today. That marriage as intended by God is between one woman and one man in a monogamous relationship that sex and intimacy is only to be enjoyed as a gift from God in a marriage relationship. Know that in the defense of the truth, there can be love and empathy shown to them who still have yet to know the truth and have yet to receive the truth. But you and I need to defend the truth. Look with me at verse 10. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. From what Paul writes in verse 10, it seems like the false teachers were accusing Paul of preaching to please men, meaning he was only preaching what they wanted to hear. A simple gospel message without those rules that the false teachers were advocating for. Perhaps the charge was, Paul, you are making it too easy for the Christians to live their lives for Jesus Christ. Now, we'll look in detail what Paul is advocating for as we further study the book of Galatians. But suffice it to say, Paul vehemently disagreed with their accusations. Paul didn't preach the true gospel of Jesus Christ only to curry favor with the listeners. Because he states very clearly in verse 10, he didn't live his life to please men, but to please God. And that was what he was arguing for. Paul describes himself as a bondservant, a doulos, a, a slave to Christ. And since he is fully committed to Christ, he doesn't live his life to please men, but to please God. And therefore, his message would reflect truth, even if it was unpopular. Paul didn't care what the false teachers thought. In this rebuttal, Paul gives us another lesson we can learn. Number four, a motivation to live by. A motivation to live by. And that is to be motivated by pleasing God. It should be that in each of our lives, we desire to please God rather than men. Now, I know these are easy words to say, but they're really tough to live out. Think about how hard it is to please men, especially if, if they are in the majority and they're kind to you and they, they, they speak sweet things to you. Are you willing to disagree with them? Let me tell you how hard it is. Some of you in Southeast Asia or around the world, you love this fruit called durian. It is a fruit that is pungent in smell. Uh, I don't particularly like it. Many hotels and airlines ban durian from coming into their rooms or onto the plane. I remember a few years ago, I was invited to speak in Davao. Uh, it's a southern uh, city in the Philippines. And uh, in my honor, they threw a 12-course banquet now remember, I don't like durian, and when I arrived at the airport, they said to me, Pastor, welcome to Davao. Any fruits you like? I said, I like pomelo. 
They said, you know, we have wonderful durian here, the best in the world. I said, I'm not a particular fan. They said, well, you've never had Davao's durian. You love it. Well, I tried to tell them I don't like it, but they just kept telling me you have to have Davao durian. It's the best pastor. And so that evening at the 12-course banquet meal, after the meal, they said, it's time for dessert. And so I asked what's for dessert, and they said, it's durian. You're going to love it. We have bought for you the best high-grade, high-quality durian in all of Davao, and you will enjoy it, that creamy texture. I could smell it a mile away. My stomach was already getting queasy. I didn't want to eat it. And so they set it uh, on the banquet table, and so everyone got a piece of the durian. I didn't have a choice but to put one on my plate as well. And so they began to dig into their durian, and boy, they loved it. Mmms and ahs. They licked their fingers, and they kind of looked at me, wondering why I had not yet tried it. And because of peer pressure, I took a little bite, and I'll be honest with you, it was gross. It was yucky. But then they asked me, Pastor, what do you think? Now, if you were in my position, how would you respond? Would you tell your gracious host the truth? Or will you have to lie a bit and say that it's kind of good? Well, even though I'm a pastor, I will admit today that with all 11 eyes looking at me, as I tasted my durian, I thought it was gross. I said to them, wow, it's really good. And I quickly gulped down a glass of water. They said, wow, you really like it that much? Would you like to have another piece? I said, thanks, I'm really full. You see, my friends, it's really hard to speak truth when everyone is against you. But it's also very hard to speak the truth when everyone has one opinion and they are nice to you and you have another. But what will, you be, what will be your motivation to live out your life? Will you live it in such a way to please God or to please men? That's something I hope you'll go home and think about. In these introductory verses, Paul has already introduced his main themes of this book, which are gospel and grace. So keep in mind that the true gospel message, which is that Jesus Christ died and rose again for your sins and offers this free gift of salvation to all who saves us from a hopeless world, is a core truth you and I should not deviate from. And when you know and personally accept this truth by faith, then you and I need to be rooted. We need to know the Scriptures. You and I need to discern, to filter everything through the lenses of Scripture. You and I need to defend the truth that you believe in, even if it's not popular. And you and I need to be motivated to live our lives for the Lord versus living it for the approval of men. Let me end with this illustration. A few weeks ago, I was in Colorado, and my family and I drove up Pikes Peak. It's a, a mountain of over 14,000 feet, 4,300 meters. It's known as America's Mountain. And uh, the views from on top of Pikes Peak is absolutely stunning. Well, I drove up, and I'll be honest, it was very scary. There were no guardrails. As I looked down very quickly as I was driving, 
It was a sheer drop. A slip of the wheel would mean instant death. A blown tire would also mean instant death. It was white-knuckle driving, to say the least. What was amazing was that all road trip, my kids were fighting in the car, which is very normal. But suddenly on this drive up Pike's Peak, everyone was quiet. No one was fighting. It was complete silence. When we got to the top of the summit, I asked the kids, why were you all so quiet? They said, Dad, we were all praying in the back that we would not die today because we're still so young. We were praying for you. I joked, if you want a powerful prayer life, drive up Pike's Peak. You'll realize nothing else matters. You know, in the same way, sometimes we need a wake-up call like this to get to the heart of the gospel message. When everything has been stripped away, what is it that we believe about the gospel? What is it that focuses on the truth, the essentials? Sometimes we need a wake-up call. Perhaps this pandemic is that wake-up call to show us that life is mortal, that that which we treasure isn't really what we are to treasure. Perhaps when we begin to have things stripped away that we so closely hold on to, it gets us to the very core. And I hope during this unique time in history, you and I would look to the gospel to see what it is we believe and how what we believe should change the way we live. And that's what we're going to do as we study the book of Galatians, to strip away everything and to look at the essence of the gospel and how it radically changes our Christian life. May God bless our study in this book. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for giving us the book of Galatians. I pray as we begin to study this book that hearts would be open eyes would be open to see how we are to live our lives, to enjoy the freedoms that you have given us, unshackled from the bondage of sin. And yet, Lord, to live our lives in such a way that it pleases you, that we enjoy the freedoms of grace, and yet, Lord, we do not abuse it. Father, thank you for these reminders that Paul gives the Galatians, which we can apply in our lives today. Help us to be discerning with the truth. Help us to defend the truth. Help us to get to the core gospel message and always hold firm to it that we will not be shaken because we are rooted in your word. We love you, Lord, and we pray that the gospel message will continue to transform lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.